Here we go. Good evening. My name is Alan, and I am an alcoholic. And I'm grateful to be sober and at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous tonight. Um, thank you, Tom, for asking me to speak. It's always nice when somebody wants to hear what you have to say. Um, hopefully, what I have to say might resonate with one or two of you. I know that everybody's journey is a little bit different. Um, you know, my story is my story, and I uh, will share my experience, strength, and hope, um, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, I am not part of AA, so what I say doesn't necessarily mean that that's what AA thinks. What I'm going to share with you is my story and some of my thoughts and my opinions. Um, maybe some things that I say might resonate with you. Some things might not. Maybe I'll say something that could change your life, or maybe you'll be bored. Um, I, I, I don't have one of those great stories, um, you know, that's exciting where people end up in jail and all kinds of jam-ups, and, um, you know, I am very, very grateful and uh, very fortunate that I didn't lose everything, that I didn't uh, end up in the gutter somewhere. Um, not that I guess that's a bad place, um, but that's not my story. I'm just a guy from Orange County um, who had a problem that I couldn't stop drinking and using stuff. So um, my very first sponsor told me that all that I have to share is my experience. So I'll tell you my story and what it was like. Um, one of the things that I like to talk about before I get into my story is um, give you some basic information. Everybody wants to know. Um, I have a sobriety date. It's uh, February the 14th, 1997. Um, yeah, a little bit of time. I have a sponsor. I have a home group, um, although the home group that I had for about 20 years doesn't exist anymore. They shut down the Saddleback Fellowship Club, if any of you used to go there, and um, they're still looking for a place. But I have a new home group, and, um, you know, I have a lot of friends in this program. And I will tell you that um, one of the things, the important things that I heard when I first got here was that you know, if you don't want to drink or use, you never have to do that again. You know, we have a solution. And I want to congratulate all of those newcomers, because it takes a lot of courage to come up here, take a chip, and say, I'm an alcoholic or I'm an addict. It takes a lot of courage to do that, and, and I wish you success on your journey. Um, it, it is possible to stay sober and clean. One of the things that happened to me when I first got here I don't know if you felt this way, but, you know, I had all these visions about what I wanted to do someday in my life. And, and I always looked at I wanted to go to Europe. I wanted to go and taste all the different wines in all the different countries. I wanted to go drink all the beers in all the different countries. And I especially wanted to go to Amsterdam and go to the cafes. Well, you don't have to go to Amsterdam anymore, you know. They, they opened up a cafe in Santa Monica, for God's sakes, you know. But back then, um, it was a big deal. And an old-timer told me, well, you know, tell you what, here's, here's what you have to pay attention to. And, and this was really important for me. This has helped me survive and stay sober. He said, all you got to do is not use or drink today. You just got to do it today, one day at a time. If you get up today, you don't take a drink or you don't use, and you go through your day, no matter what happens, and then you lay your head down on your pillow at the end of the day, and you didn't drink or use during that day, then you had a successful day. And you know what? 
there's been a lot of days that I've gone through, and I'll share my story, and, and I apologize up front because sometimes in my story I, I get broken up um, about some of the things that have happened. Um, I haven't had to pick up a drink or use. And so while everything else went to hell in a handbasket, I didn't drink or use, and so that was a successful day. And maybe you can use that. Now, what differentiates you and me, those of you who are alcoholics or wondering if you're alcoholics, from other people? Well, and I'll read exactly what it says in a moment, but, but did you ever notice that there seems to be other people, you go to a restaurant, and they might have perhaps a cocktail or two. Um, my wife might order a cocktail and drink half of it. I don't know how she does that. Um, and it, it perturbs me because it's 15 bucks these days. <laughs> but for me, I was never a drinker like that. If I had one, I had to have two or three or four or five or six. As soon as I started drinking, you know, I had to have it. And, and for me, what, it, what occurred when I drank or, or used was it, it suddenly made me feel different. It was like, you know, people who don't have our disease, they don't really feel that. It's a beverage. It's something nice to have along with your dinner or, or cocktail hour. Um, in our book, our big book, this is my smaller version of our big book, um, there was a guy in the front, he, he wrote uh, a little bit about uh, what he observed. His name was Dr. Silkworth. Bear in mind, this was written way back in 1938. But he said, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented, unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks. Drinks which they see others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, the phenomenon of craving develops. They pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful, and with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. Now, I don't know about you, but it always seemed like I was trying to chase that feeling over and over. And many times I knew it's going to lead to the same problems. You know, in my case, when I drank too much, I'd end up throwing up. Um, but what was different for me, and, and what's different about an alcoholic, is they tend to start craving the alcohol or what they're using. So that kind of makes it us a little bit different. Um, so they say it's some allergy. So we are different. And now um, the medical community says that it, it is a disease. So you don't have to beat yourself up about uh, being an alcoholic or an addict. It's a disease. And no matter what people have said to you in the past, which is like, you know, just buck up. You can do it. It takes stamina. Or it takes courage. You can stop. Well, I found I could. And I'll share a little bit of my story with you. Now, I should not have 
become an alcoholic. I grew up here in Orange County in Anaheim, about two miles away from Disneyland. I had both parents throughout my life growing up. Um, I lived in a neighborhood where every household had at least a couple of kids. Um, it was the idyllic uh, suburban lifestyle. Um, everything was wonderful, um, except I noticed early on I was a little bit different. And, and I remember all the way back to when I was three years old, people go, really? Um, I had uh, this growth on the back of my head. It was a tumor. It was about the size of a very large marble. And my little friends used to tease me about it. And, uh, you know, that hurt my feelings. And when I was about three and a half, what they used to do back in those days is they used to take everybody's tonsils out. So I went to the hospital, I had my tonsils taken out, and I had that tumor removed. Well, when I was growing up, I also had allergies. So I was that kid that, you know, I was kind of awkward, and when there was stuff in the air, I couldn't go outside because I'd be sneezing and wheezing, and I don't know, and I was kind of a klutz. I tended to fall and sprain parts of my body and end up going to the ER and stuff like that. And so, I don't know, I just felt different. And so what I had to do because of uh, my allergies and stuff, I spent a lot of time at home, and I was fortunate that my grandmother had left her television, and it was in my room. And back in those days, you got like one or two, maybe three channels, and they only played these old movies. And a lot of those old movies were old westerns and gangster movies and detective movies and war movies and all these kind of movies. And the thing I always watched and noticed, even as a small child, four or five years old, was people were drinking and having fun. I mean, if you look at the old gangster movies, they go into speakeasies and everybody's having fun. You know, or they go to some party somewhere. Everybody's drinking and having fun. The cowboys come in off the range. They go, bartender, give me a whiskey. And after a few whiskeys, a bar fight breaks out, and they're having fun. So I grew up thinking, you know, I can't wait till I can drink. I want to have fun. My parents weren't drinkers. You know, once in a while, I'd see them drink, but they really weren't drinkers. And so, you know, it's kind of strange in my household. I would watch this in movies and hope that, you know, someday I'll have an opportunity to do that. Well, I grew up in a Jewish household, so, you know, there are ceremonies that people, we, we have, and, and you get to drink this Manischewitz wine, and um, around Easter time, there's a holiday called Passover, and, you know, starting about seven or eight years old, used to have a little bit of this Manischewitz wine, and when you're seven or eight years old, and you have some, you kind of get a little bit of a buzz, you know, ooh, um, and that was kind of cool, but, um, when I was 12, I was preparing for what they call a bar mitzvah, and so we went to temple on a very regular basis on Friday nights. And after the service, they would have a little prayer, and they'd have these little Dixie cups of wine. Well, after they did the prayer and stuff, on the back table, there was about a dozen of these things sitting there. And so I'd kind of look around, nobody's looking, and I'd drink half a dozen or more, and I really, you know, whoa. Now, sometimes I overdid it, and when I got home, the bed was spinning, you know, the bed spins, you know, the put one foot on the ground or whatever, but but I wanted to do it again, you know. I couldn't wait till the next Friday night to go do that again. Well, by the time I got to junior high school, more like about ninth grade, uh, my junior high went up to ninth grade. A lot of kids start high school then. I had friends who had older brothers and sisters, and there'd be parties on the weekend, 
my parents go away to Vegas or somewhere, and, and I'd get invited to the sleepover, and there would be alcohol. Well, you know, I found out that when alcohol was available, I would start drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking, and next thing I knew is I ended up being that guy that barfed on your living room carpet or barfed in your bushes or barfed in your car. And, you know, when you're in high school, that's not the thing you want to do, you know. You go to the party because drinking the alcohol, it greases the wheels, and now you feel, wow, I'm, I'm arrived. I, I, I can do this. Except whenever I drank, I just kept drinking. Well, it was the early 70s, and um, stuff used to float around. The stuff that's now legal was herbal stuff. But back then, um, it wasn't legal. And so I got introduced to this herbal stuff, and I found out that if I smoked this herbal stuff, I could drink without drinking too much and throwing up. So that began uh, a habit that I had for a lot, a lot, a lot of years. Um, because I like alcohol. I love alcohol. You know, I like different kinds of beer. Um, I like different whiskeys, single malt scotch, Canadian whiskey. Uh, I like to drink gin and tonic. You know, I like alcohol. But if I don't have some of that herbal medicine, I drink too much. Well, there was a period in time that um, I started doing too much of the herbal medicine, and that started to get in the way of things. I was uh, in high school and decided, you know, maybe I should graduate early and go to college, and things didn't change much. I just kept doing the same things. Um, and one summer I met a gentleman who told me all about this science fiction religion thing, and uh, it sounded interesting, but he said the only bad thing about it is you can't do drugs. And I thought, huh, well, do I really need to do that? Well, okay, I mean, it sounds pretty cool, all the science fiction stuff. So. Uh, for a period of time, I got involved with that, and I, I didn't do any drugs and what have you. And um, after a while, that seemed not to be what I wanted to do. So um, I quit that, and I went right back to my old habits of drinking and smoking. And, you know, life was okay. Um, I got married the first time, and, and that was going kind of okay. But, you know, I just couldn't handle all the stress. And I was traveling, and, you know... When you drink and use, you don't mature very much. And so I was very immature, and it just didn't work out. Um, I then got remarried later on, and things were better. And what my um, wife didn't know or realize was that I really had this herbal use problem and drinking problem because while I didn't drink every day, I was smoking that herbal stuff every day and sneaking around. And, um, you know, I'd stop here and there. You know, once in a while something would be said and I would stop for a few weeks. Um, and then I would just be drinking. And then I didn't like to just drink because I was afraid that I would drink too much and get sick. I didn't like to get sick. So what happened was um, I did that for a lot, a lot of years. And, you know, I had two young children, and um, my older one from my first marriage was about 15 at the time. And, you know, our wonderful state was running these ads, and they showed this man. He was holding a box of paraphernalia, and he was asking the kid, you know, 
You know, where'd you get that stuff, you know? And the kid looks at the dad and says, I learned it from you, dad. Yeah, and you know what? I was thinking, that's going to be me, you know? And, and the thought of that broke my heart. So I thought about stopping. I thought about it. And, and I would stop for a few weeks and prove to myself I did not have a problem. And so then I'd start up again because I didn't really have a problem. And then, you know, there's another wonderful thing that they did in educating um, our children. My younger son at the time was about uh, six or seven, and, and he was after me, you know, hey, Dad, you got to quit smoking cigarettes. And, you know, so I decided I was going to quit smoking cigarettes. Well, guess what? I did quit smoking cigarettes, but then I smoked that other stuff more. Um, and then what happened was I used to read him a story just about every night. And one night, I was reading him the story, and he goes, Dad, it smells like you've been smoking, but not cigarettes. And it was like, uh-oh. And I felt bad. I was going to be the man with the box and the kid. And, and so then I got serious about trying to stop. So I could stop for a few weeks. And, and what would happen is, you know, I would just get all edgy. And... Um, so I, I was starting to get serious. But I want to backtrack just a second because I, I forgot one of my, my, my stories about drinking. Well, my wife, I mentioned my wife didn't really know I had a drinking problem. And we went on our honeymoon. And we went on a cruise to Mexico. And we had stopped at one of the ports was Mazatlan. And I didn't want to, you know, have that herbal stuff off the ship. And because in those days in Mexico, you could really get in trouble just for that. And so... We stopped at a variety of places, and every place we stopped, they gave us shots of tequila. So I was drinking tequila all day long. And then we went to this place called Senor Frogs. People have heard of Senor Frogs, yeah. Well, on the cruise ship, they warned us not to go there because, you know, they have these big drinks, it gets crazy, whatever. So, of course, because they warned us not to go there, you know, half the people there were people from our cruise. And so we met up with some people that we shared a table with, and started drinking, I had this fishbowl margarita, and then we were doing shots of tequila, and then they were doing a conga line, and there was, we were sitting like in a booth over by a fireplace, and there was a mantle or something. Next thing I know, I'm jumping around, dancing on this mantle, and then it's time to get back to the ship. My wife's sitting there laughing. It's time to get back to the ship, and, and I get back to the ship, and, and uh, it's dinner time, and and she says, well, you're not ready for dinner. I go, oh, I don't feel too good. And I went into the bathroom and proceeded to get sick. And then I put the shower on, and I was in the shower on all fours being sick. And she kept going, are you okay? And I go, yeah, I'm fine. I'll be okay. I've been here and done this before. Um, and I pretty much spent the night in the shower on all fours being sick. And, yes, I had done that many times before. Um, she'd never seen me be that way from drinking. So um, that's what happens when I drink as an alcoholic. I end up drinking too much. So I just want to throw that back in. But back to my, back to, back to my story. So my son um, had said to me about it didn't smell like cigarettes, and, and I decided I'm going to get serious about stopping. And so um, I tried to stop. And um, I could go a few weeks. And then I was just be just too edgy. And, and I'd say, well, okay, you know, I'll just drink and smoke a little or whatever. And, and um, I was on one of my stopping points. And I used to keep 
a bottle of Stoichnaya in the freezer. I like when they're all frozen. And uh, I hadn't had any of that herb in the house for a couple weeks. And, you know, I had four or five shots of Stoli, and I didn't have any herb. And I was like, have you ever had that feeling where you're just crawling the walls? I mean, you're just so uncomfortable because you don't have what you need. You know, you're restless, irritable, discontent. If I only had the stuff. So I went out to my garage. It was about midnight. And I did have, you know, a little thing of a bunch of seeds and stems and stuff. And I ground it all up. And those of you who have partaken of, of that herbal stuff, if you light up the stems and seeds, it's comparable to, like, smoking dog do. It was terrible, um, and it didn't do anything for me. And at that moment, in my garage, something happened. You know, I had this vision. I could see this giant abyss, and I could see myself looking over the edge of the abyss and seeing my life going down the toilet because I couldn't stop it. The very next day, I called my um, employee assistance helpline and said, you know, I think I have a problem. And they said, okay. And they said, well, here's your options. Um, first, they told me about the options about this, you know, place in Phoenix, outside of Phoenix, where you spend 30 days, and it's, you know, like a resort place, and blah, blah, blah. And they go, oh, you have Kaiser. Well, Ki you know, Kaiser, Kaiser won't cover that. Um, you could go. It's $50,000. I go, no, I got to work and stuff. And so Kaiser had a, they had a good, uh, good outpatient program. And uh, I went to that for about six or eight weeks. Um, and uh, that's where I got introduced to the 12-step programs. And that's where I got educated about alcoholism and drug addiction. And that's where I learned about my disease, that it wasn't my lack of strength or courage or moral turpitude. It was a disease. Um, and I have to admit that, that I first went to a 12-step program that was geared more towards the people who have problems with herbs. But it didn't, it didn't work well for me, not to diss that program. But, you know, people had a hard time staying clean. And uh, I met a guy. Uh, he came and we started talking, and he told me about AA that he goes to this 12-step study, 12-and-12 uh, 12 12 meeting, and, you know, he has a sponsor, and he invited me to come along. And I started going to that meeting, and pretty much ever since had been going been to AA meetings, had a sponsor, and worked the steps. And it made all the difference in my life. And it wasn't easy at first, you know, because, you know, I had a young family, and, and I was trying to balance trying to stay sober and do my job and be with my family. And uh, it was challenging. It was challenging. But what I gained from that program, those 12 steps, having a sponsor, is I gained a personal relationship with a higher power. You know, I found that, yes, I admitted that I'm an alcoholic. And I did come to believe that some kind of a higher power could help me with this. And, you know, the challenging part is turning my will and my life over to this higher power. You know, there's days I have a challenge with that now. But I believe in it. I have faith that it works. I did a thorough inventory. Um, I've done a number of four steps, actually, over the years. Um, I did a fifth step. I shared things with another human being that I never thought 
I would tell another human being things I was embarrassed about, things I've done, you know, I've stolen things, I've cheated, I've lied. I, well, I did stuff, you know. I, I'm an alcoholic. I did a six, seven step, eight step, nine step, eleven step, twelve step, etc. And I have a relationship with a higher power. Now, in our program, people talk about God, and I like to call my higher power God. In our program, we say that your higher power is whatever your concept of a higher power is, but you got to have something. And having that relationship with a higher power has pretty much saved my life. You know, because when I'm all alone, when I can't get a hold of my sponsor, when I can't get a hold of another member of this program, there's always that higher power I can talk to. There's that praying I can do. There's the faith that I have that it's all going to work out. There's the challenge that I know that it may not work out the way I want it to, but it works out. And so there's, there's hope. If you're new and you do this program, you do these steps, you get a sponsor, you get involved, you go to meetings, you take service commitments, you can do this thing. So that was like what it was like, kind of what happened. So what's it like now? Well, I'll tell you what. Sobriety is a challenge. Because as an alcoholic addict, I had an instant solution to my problems. Now, I don't know about you, but I still have stuff goes on in my head. You know, it's always thinking about stuff. You know, people say something to me, and then it's, you know, well, they, they did that. They said, and, and then what about this and what about that? Or problems arise, and, and there's just, it keeps going and going. And I used to be able to drink or use and shut it off for a while. Now I have to pause and I have to get real about it. I have to take responsibility for these things. Um, being sober, lots of wonderful things have happened in my life. Children have graduated from high school. I graduated from college. My older son got married. I'm a grandparent. I have two grandchildren. My wife graduated from college. Um, lots of wonderful things happened in my life. Bad things happened in my life also. Um, when I was um, about 12 years sober, I lost my father. Um, he passed away. Had a heart attack after Thanksgiving one night. Um, I lost my mother. My mother was very sick. And uh, not that long ago, the year 2016 was probably the worst year of my life. Um, I'd gotten a new job, uh, involved a lot of travel. My mother was very sick. She'd been in the hospital about six times that year. I discovered uh, about a year and a half before that, my youngest son had a heroin problem. He'd been to one rehab, and then he went to another rehab. And probably one of the toughest things to deal with is when you have a child who has an addiction problem. And, you know, we have this program, and, and he knows about the program. Um, he went to meetings with me. He went to rehab. And, you know, he had his own thing to deal with. And, and um, I couldn't tell him, you know, this is what to do. And so ultimately what happened was it didn't work out for him. Um, you know, my wife and I, we went to Al-Anon. And, and in Al-Anon, if you have somebody that's uh, close to you, 
child, a spouse, a brother, sister, parent, whatever. You know, they, they kind of teach, you know, you don't have any power, any control over other people. You know, what talk, we talk about program, we don't have control over uh, people, places, and things. And so, you know, it was difficult living with my son and, and heartbreaking. Well, uh, my son, um, he, he moved out of the house. We, we came to an agreement um, after a long period of time that, you know, it wasn't okay that um, he and his girlfriend uh, were living with us and using. And uh, so he got his own apartment. And he had a job. I mean, he kept a job somehow. And um, he could afford the apartment. And he moved out. And, you know, we thought things were okay. Um, he tried to kick his habit um, without going to a, a detox place. Um, he was trying to kick his habit, and his girlfriend was trying to kick her habit, and whatever, and some kind of a domestic dispute arose. And um, basically, he decided that life wasn't worth living. Um, he had owned a handgun, and you know we had gotten a, a banging on our door at um, 2 o'clock in the morning from the sheriff. And they said, um, did you have a son, Ethan? And we go, yes. Well, you need to get over to Mission Hospital right away. Well, why? Well, your son's there. Well, what's happened? Well, we can't tell you. So we rush over there, and there he was in the ICU and um, on life support. And um, there, there's nothing worse than seeing your child on life support. And we were there, and because of the circumstances, uh, at first they weren't going to let us in the room, you know, because it was a quote-unquote crime scene. And we had to wait till the coroner's office came and the CSI people and what have you. And, uh, they, they eventually, they let us in the room uh, before that, and, and we had to stand far away from the bed, but at least we're in the room. They did their thing, and, and we were there. We, we, we could be with our son. And... Um, you know, he was on life support, and his heart stopped. And the doctor said, well, do you want us to try to, to resuscitate him? And we could see that, you know, he'd done a tremendous amount of damage to his brain, and, and it, it probably isn't going to help anything. And so we didn't. That was the worst moment of my life. Now, people told me, you know, I, we had to make plans for the funeral and you know, what have you. People told me, you know, it's okay to have a drink. It's all right. You know, you, you deserve to have a drink. It's okay. I said, no, no, I, I, I don't need a drink. You know, I know that if I take one drink, it won't be just one. You know, and, and, and I've worked really hard not to drink or use and, and, and to live a sober lifestyle. Well, the job where I traveled so much, um, it, it continued. It, it was very stressful, and my heart was broken. Um, about seven or eight months after I lost my son, I had a heart attack. My heart truly was broken. Um, I survived my heart attack. My, my wife, that day it was Mother's Day. It was a great Mother's Day present. I made her biscuits and gravy, which she likes, and you know, sausage gravy, really good, health, heart-healthy food. And, um, you know, 
Sausage gravy can kind of give you indigestion, so I thought I was just having some indigestion that morning. Um, but, you know, the pain was pretty intense, and so I went on the Internet, checked out the, the symptoms, you know, said, you know, the pain in your shoulder radiates, and your jaw starts to have pain, and you get the cold sweats. I go, wow, check, check, check. So we were going to go somewhere, and I told my wife, well, can we stop at the ER before we go? <laughs> she says, why? I go, well, I, I think I might be having a heart attack. She says, I'm, we're not going to the ER. She called 911, and paramedics came, and they, you know, took, gave me some stuff and hooked me up to an IV and put me in the ambulance and took me over to Mission Hospital. And, uh, you know, I'm alive today, which is, which is wonderful. Um, you know, I didn't drink over that. Our personal lives, um, you know, losing a child has a big impact on your family and your friends and you know, our immediate family. They're all torn up about it. But, but between a husband and a wife, you know, it, it, at first it was, you know, we should have done this or you should have done that or you should have done It's very difficult. And, and, you know, it put an excessive amount of stress on our marriage. And... Um, you know, a lot of people would drink over that and, and, you know, drink over that. And 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 we struggled, you know. We've sought professional help, and, and over the years I've gone to counselors because, you know, our program says in our big book that, you know, there's professionals out there that if you need help, go see a professional. You know, our program gives us um, a roadmap of how to stay sober. It gives us these steps. But there's other professionals out there that know how to help other issues that we might have. Um, and so, you know, don't be embarrassed if you ever need to do that. Because, um, you know, we've been able to work together on improving our relationship. So being sober isn't really all a bed of roses some days. Um, what's wonderful about it is I don't have those cravings anymore. Did you ever have those cravings to, God, i got to get a drink. i got to have a drink. You know, I just can't wait till work's over. Can't wait till the weekend. i, I got to have a drink. i gotta, I got I, I to gotta smoke something. i got to use something. I, I got the craving. I haven't had a craving in over 22 years. Um, that's wonderful. I have a higher power in my life. That's all, also wonderful. I have faith. I have faith that... As long as I work this program, as long as I try to be a good human being, as long as I believe in this higher power, you know, my life is going to turn out okay. Again, it may not turn out the way I want it to, but it's going to turn out okay. So if you're new, relatively new, been around a while, you know, this program works. Uh, we read it in the beginning of every meeting. It says, rarely have we seen a person fail. Well, I can tell you, uh, 22 and a half years of being in this program and having sobriety, people who work our program and they do what the program says, I, I've rarely seen them fail. It's available to you. It's not always easy. It's a simple program, but it's certainly not easy. So I wish all of you success in your sobriety, and I encourage you to keep coming back. Thank you for your time.